Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today on Model Mentality, we are talking to Austrian model Nadine Leopold. Nadine is an international fashion model, best known for her work with Victoria's Secret, appearing in the Valentine's Day campaign, as well as walking their show in 2017 and 2018. She has appeared on the cover of French and German Glamour, as well as walking for the Jacquemus show. Earlier this year, Nadine created a podcast called I Choose Me, centred around sharing stories of empowerment and transformation. Her podcast was born from her personal mental health experiences. Today, we discuss her mental health journey in her early years, including a relationship in which she experienced both emotional and physical abuse, the development of an eating disorder, and a darker period of her life consistent with depression. Thank you so much, Nadine, for coming on. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. Um, Thank you for having me. So first question, how old were you when you started modeling and how were you scouted? So I was 14 and a half, I would say. Um, And I was just allowed to go to Vienna, which is three hours from my hometown. I grew up in a small town in Austria. My aunt was living in Vienna at the time. And it was kind of the cool thing to do when you were young to go to Vienna for the weekend. And so I went there and um, I was, I can't remember how exactly it happened, but I was just There was this guy who came up and he was saying, you know, I work for this modeling agency. I'm a scout and I would love for you to come in. I'll give you my card. And I went back home to my parents and modeling was never really something that crossed my mind. So we just thought, you know what, it could be a fun thing on the side, you know, make some pocket money. And I had no idea about modeling, how much money you can make or, you know, being from Austria, it's not a big thing there. So my parents just thought, you know, this could be a fun thing. And we gave them a call and that's how it all happened. Wow. that's That sounds very similar to kind of my story as well. It's like I was 14 as well and just like it just kind of happened. And I was like, oh, this is weird. This is crazy. <laughs> I know. I always feel like people are disappointed when they ask you, how were you scouted? I'm like, I wish I had a better story. But it's really so I basic. know. Someone saw me and was like, you should do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> exactly. um, you're like, why not? <laughs> what surprised you the most about working as a model? Um, I mean, so many things. I think 
when you're not looking or when you're not trying to be a model and it just happens naturally I think everything is surprising I mean I had no idea what a shoot would be like I had no idea what like how much makeup and hairstyles how much they can change your looks I had no idea what it meant to travel I mean everything was a surprise to me and I think I was a bit more surprised of how much hard work is behind it Mm. so I think a lot of people just see that see the results but they don't know how much is behind one photo like traveling sometimes for hours to even get there and it's just there's so much behind one photo I can agree with you on that I how did you find as like a young model like a really young girl like being in hair and makeup and getting this crazy look done like I remember my first editorial I like came in my school uniform and then like they did hair and makeup (laughs) and all of a sudden I was this like 60s like glamorous girl and I was like what the hell I'm like 15 this is so weird it was very disorienting it it is weird in the beginning like there were definitely some shoots that um I mean in the beginning I I think there were certain shoots where I really loved it because I felt so different and I was really shy in school so I felt like it gave me the opportunity to feel like someone else so I it took me out of my comfort zone and I was like oh my god I can be this character now and I can do that and I feel like it helped me to figure out who I am and to get out of my shy face. But I got into lingerie and bikini very quick. And that was like where it got a bit like, oh, okay, so I'm 15 and this is my, I don't know how I feel about this. Right. I guess it's happening. Yeah. My first ever um, big campaign shoot was for an Australian swimsuit brand. And I was 15. Like I wasn't obviously comfortable with my sexuality at that point. And I was like selling swimsuits and trying to figure out how to do it appropriately like it was very strange exactly I think the weirdest feeling is when you know I mean this doesn't exist now anymore for anyone who's listening but I mean I had to go through catalogs like paper catalogs and like I had to like mark what I wanted to order from a catalog and I remember once I started shooting for those catalogs where I ordered from it's like oh my god wait I'm 15 and I'm shopping from people where like I thought the model was a lot older so it's just it's yeah. just like really strange how it works yes hair and makeup can do a lot <laughs> exactly um, ha- as your career has evolved how do you feel about your identity as a model um I mean now that I'm 26 I feel I, I always wish that I had the knowledge that I have now I wish I had it back then because I think I feel so now I understand my body now I understand industry now I understand how to not take it personal but I think starting at such a young age and then figuring out throughout the whole career was very tough but I wish I had the knowledge now I feel now I feel like it's all under my control I feel like I can I I choose what I want to do I choose how I want to feel about certain things I I feel like I can protect myself more than I used to Mm, absolutely let's talk about your podcast um, you launched an epic podcast earlier this year called I Choose Me, available wherever you get your podcast, centered around self-love, empowerment and mental health. What made you want to start talking about these issues? Um, so I started the podcast about a year ago because um, I was trying to figure out a way how to share experiences from modeling or just from talking to other girls in industry and podcasts just sounded like something so perfect because it's something where it's not about what you look like it's more about you know the person that you are and I feel like it was around a time where people started speaking more openly about body image and just protecting each other and the me too movement and everything and 
there were so many people that inspired me and like obviously you were one of them Aww. that's why it meant a lot for me that you came on my podcast yes but thanks for having me it's like it's like it, it's it's the power of social media like opening up about little difficulties or little struggles and then the response that made me realize how important it is to share what we're all going through and I always felt like for me keeping all my struggles inside and not talking about them didn't really help me mm. and by sharing I, f- I started realizing that I got a lot more other girls to open up and then they started opening up it's just I just felt like there was such a need for girls to actually share their experiences the harder ones as much as the good ones so that's how I came up with a podcast where I just wanted to create a platform where I can share things that I think young girls are experiencing like trying to protect them from bad experiences that you easily slip into and like trying to just find a way to protect young girls basically I love that that's so wonderful you mentioned at the beginning of that question that it's the pod the podcast appealed to you because it was something that was not really referring to your exterior you know it was about what you have to say is that something that you've kind of struggled with as a model like learning to find your voice amid such a like image-based industry um yeah I mean I think I think when you model for a really long time it's for so many years it's always been about what you look like and no matter how far you make it in the career it's still so much about your looks and I think with social media there's so much hate and like shaming out there in so many ways that I felt like it was important to me to do something where it's really not about my looks at all or anyone's looks where you just listen to people's experiences and we're all the same because for me, it took me a long time to understand or to to not care about what other people think. Mm. And so I just felt like it was important to do it in a way where, yeah, it wasn't about what I look like or what the people I interview look like. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's like when you take away how we look, we like mental health struggles affects everybody at, to some degree. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't like distinguish between anything really. It's raw human. Exactly. <laughs> what advice would you give to Nadine as a new face? I would tell myself that the industry, and I would tell that to any new face, is just it's so much about luck and being at the right time, at the right place. Because it's so easy to take it personal and to get upset about things. And then, you know, you might get in a really bad headspace. And I just feel like it's so important to just understand that if it's meant to be, it will happen and to not put too much pressure on like certain jobs or castings or just on yourself Mm, I love that you literally can't force it no matter what you look like (laughs) (laughs) what do you want to tell the public about who you are outside of being a model um well I think um I'm still trying to figure it out every day but um I think in the last few years I just tried to be just enjoy being a normal human being outside of the fashion world and I've rebuilt my life. I moved cities. I am in a great relationship now. I'm trying to, you know, do as much as I can for mental health and speak to young girls. And I'm just trying to figure out what's next. But um, yeah, if I could tell you who I am now, (laughs) (laughs) 
I wish I could. I feel like you're still figuring it out all the time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's just life though and growing up. It's like every year I'm like, damn, maybe this is now I can rest. And it's like, nope, still figuring it out. I don't totally. Know, like... And I feel like in this industry too, like people tell you so much of who you like, they tell you who you are, who you're supposed to be. So now with COVID as well, where everything's changing, you're really forced to figure out who you are outside of this world. Mm. Yeah, there's been a lot of big developments in my life during COVID and it's like very welcome and it's because I've had a second to just stop and think and like feel for the first time (laughs) exactly weird um okay now there's time for the 50 million dollar question before we pass it over to (laughs) Ali all right if you had 50 million Instagram followers what would you want to tell them about mental health I think if I had 50 million followers (laughs) I mean first that would be great but um (laughs) I think I would just tell them to also make sure to step away from social media sometimes and just be present because a lot of what you see isn't really real. And I think everyone is just a human being. Everyone has their struggles. And it's so important to enjoy life and not spend too much time trying to be someone that you're not or trying to copy someone else because you'll always be you and you should really be happy for who you are yourself and enjoy that time because you'll never get the time back that you have now. And I feel like when you look back at old photos and remembering times where you were upset, it's like you could have spent that time and like had the best time ever. So I feel like you really need to make sure to be present and try to make every day a happy day because you don't get those days back. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Nadine. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And we'll pass it over to Ali now to go a little deeper into the mental health story. So, Nadine, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. It's nice to meet you this way, and I'm really excited uh, to speak with you. Thank you so much. Same here. Yeah, so my first question, um, why have you decided to come on to our podcast and talk specifically about mental health? I... I have decided to come on the podcast because I just love what you guys do. And I think talking about mental health and talking about it in a way to show people that everyone can go through it and everyone does have their own struggles is so important. And I think it will help so many people. And if I can help by sharing some of my experiences, then I'm, I feel like then I've done something good. No, and I agree. And, you know, bravo to you for doing that. It does take courage. So I appreciate, you know, hearing you say that. So when we spoke before the interview, um, you know, three things to me jumped out of your story that I want to focus on. You know, the first, you mentioned a relationship in your teens, and we'll talk about your view on that and bring awareness around that. The second, uh, the eating disorder. And third, the period of darkness. And then we can get a better sense of, of what that was. But first, let's go back to when you were younger. So you mentioned that you had a very difficult relationship when you were around 14, 15. Um, and this was around the time I know you said your parents were splitting up. So can you tell us a little bit about this period of your life, the relationship and why it's important to bring awareness to what happened to you? Um. So when I was 14 years old, um, my parents got divorced. And I think the age of being 14 when you're a young girl is super interesting because so much is happening at that time. And I remember I was always a shy girl. I had to change schools quite a bit because I was struggling with being bullied. And I always felt a bit lost and I always tried to be, tried to be the 
the best friend that girls could have. I always tried to adapt to people to fit in. And I think something that happens to a lot of young girls, I can imagine too, is that, you know, when you're in high school, there's always this thing about if you date an older guy or if you date a guy that's like, you know, two classes above you, it's like really cool and it gives you credit and then you become one of the popular people. And so I always try to fit in. And basically what happened is when my parents were going through the divorce, I didn't have a lot of people around to support what I was going through. And I ended up meeting a guy that was four years, four or five years older than I was. And he was not understanding of what I was going through. And he was just a very, not really emotional person. And because I was young and because he was a bit older, people in school thought it was really cool that I was dating someone older. And it kind of made me feel like, oh, hold on, like suddenly people are nice to me and suddenly people are speaking to me. And so I just, you know, kept staying in this relationship and it just ended up being a horrible verbally physically abusive relationship that I couldn't get out of and it's something that I feel like a lot of girls might go through because I think verbal abuse is something that people underestimate and it can be quite scary when you're really really young so I've been trying to speak about it and raise awareness about it because I want to try to protect young girls that get into relationships too quick because they're trying to impress their friends or they're trying to impress a guy or, you know, it can really affect you in the long run. And if you get stuck in a relationship with someone older, it can be quite intimidating and scary to get out. So I was trying to speak about that more in order to help someone who might be going through the same thing or who's stuck in a relationship that's bad and they're too scared to get out or because they don't have friends or because... They're, they might be too scared to get out and they're too scared of change. So, yeah. Yeah. And tell me what, when you were in the relationship and these things started to happen, right? Both the emotional and the physical abuse that you described, what was your intuitive response to that at the time? I, I, because I was really shy, I just thought I took everything. I thought it was all my fault. And I thought, you know, maybe I need to be cooler or maybe I need to be more brave and, I didn't see that there was the easy way of getting out. That was just, I felt like if I would, if I would leave the relationship that I'm alone and I don't have anyone and I kind of, I like to have someone and I just like to be part of a different family that's like figured out at the time because mine was just felt like it was falling apart at the time. So I had a very, very difficult time figuring out how to get out. Yeah. And so in a way, the relationship gave you comfort, although fraught with difficulties in a setting exactly. or a t- yeah, in, a, in a time in your life. And it becomes like a Stockholm thing like where you, mm. you, you, you almost take so much abuse that at some point you forget that it's abuse and you don't even know what it's like without it. And then in my head, I thought, oh, God, if I leave him, then he'll tell everyone about me. And he started, you know, making me feel bad about things like he would call me, I'm so, he would say, you're so boring. Like my friends don't like you. They don't want you around, but you're lucky that I keep you around. And so I started in my head to think, oh my God, like I need to please him all the time because clearly it's my fault. Clearly there's something wrong with me. (laughs) And so fast forward a little, how did you finally get out of the relationship? Um, well, actually modeling for me, I started it when I was 14 and a half. And by the time I turned 15, I really, I started to travel a lot for work and he really didn't like it. But at the same time, 
if I felt like such a big opportunity and it was it became a dream of mine to make it big and make it out of this whole situation and so it helped me to get out because I I knew there was a job coming up and I had to travel again and so one day to the other I just I just left I I just went out and I mean it didn't end well at the time but I just it was just one day to the other you just I just woke up and I was like it's enough and I felt like modeling gave me a ticket out so Nadine it sounds like physical distance the physical separation of modeling from your relationship you know gave you the courage or a natural break to to leave but as you know so many others are stuck in relationships and have to make that yeah. emotional separation so if you reflect back how could you have done things differently had you not had that separation of modeling or what advice would you give others who are stuck in relationships like this I would say for girls that are going through the same thing, I think it's just really important to not to just confine someone or I think it's just the emotional damage that you'll have later on is not worth staying in it. And what I've learned is if someone really loves you, they will treat you good and they will not hurt you in any way. And I think a lot of times as a girl, you make so many excuses and it's so important to not ignore bad behavior. And I think bad behavior can be the smallest thing that can later on lead up to something really big. I mean, it's it's such a difficult one to give advice to, except for to say, you just have to make sure that you don't stay in something that you even question for a second. Yeah, and it also sounds like, you know, you're earlier experiences like the bullying which I want to ask you about but also your parents divorce perhaps set the stage for why the relationship filled some need but it didn't obviously complete everything you needed exactly it's like when you're going through a hard time and then you feel like there's a distraction and then you get caught up in that distraction and you realize okay hold on this is actually not good why am I doing this this is not helping me in any way I think it's very easy to get caught up with these things yeah, and tell us a little bit about the bullying that you mentioned. Um, I've been really badly bullied. I don't know. I honestly, I think no one really understands how bullying starts. It just wanted to, I feel like it's like children just, they just pick out someone. And for me, um, in my class, I was, I grew really fast and my weight didn't really catch up with me until later on. So there was always little picking about, oh, you're so skinny and you're anorexic and da, 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 and it's just stupid child comments all the time. And then it evolved to, oh, you're anorexic and you're blonde and because you're blonde, you're stupid. And because I was shy, I never fought back. So I just kept spinning out of control. And then it just later on when I got older and I changed schools to try to get out of that one situation I feel like I always struggled to just fit in because I had a really good relationship with my parents individually and I think a lot of people in my class didn't so they didn't understand why I would tell my parents everything or you know why I wasn't trying to you know go out later than my parents told me I was allowed to or I was always like the good girl and I think I don't know if it just it led to a lot of bullying when I was in school and did you ever work through the bullying, like whether in therapy or, you know, on your own thereafter? Um, 
Well, I was really lucky because when the bullying got really, really bad, I was around 16. It it started showing physically in the sense that I couldn't physically go to school or I would literally end up in the bathroom and I couldn't get out because I just I was so scared of getting back in the classroom or just seeing people or seeing my teacher so that my mom decided to take me out of school and to do homeschooling. And I think the support of my mom was for me kind of the fact that she believed me and that she supported me helped me a lot to get out of it. And then the modeling at the same time helped me to be distracted. But I think just, and I've, I've never really dealt with it in a, with a therapist, but my mom at the time helped me a lot. Yeah, that's the power of family support, right? And, and it's interesting because it sounds like so many things were happening at one time. So you were modeling, you had been bullied, there was this relationship going on. And then I know you said that slowly, one year into modeling, you developed an eating disorder. So can you tell us then what happened with respect to thoughts or pressure around body, body image and eating? I think when you're in your teens and you're already going through a lot of things, and I think the things that I was going through, probably a lot of girls are going through, I think a lot of people struggle with bullying and also figuring out relationships at that time because, you know, everyone's just figuring out their sexuality everyone's figuring out who they are everyone's body's changing so that on top of being in an industry that's so much about your body while my body was changing at the time I put so much pressure on trying to look perfect at all times and at the same time dealing with being a teenager coming out of a horrible relationship my parents at home like there was just so much going on and then being a model when you start out in Europe you travel a lot which means I wasn't just in one place so I didn't have the time to make a lot of friends along the way I was until I moved to New York I was just getting from one plane to a studio and jumping around non-stop so I didn't have time to make friends and being alone struggling with like being just a normal teenager and being in the modeling industry, trying to fit in, trying to book jobs, trying to have specific measurements, which was huge back in the day. I mean, Bridget knows through it's like back in the day you did get measured every two weeks. It was it was a thing. So it was horrible, yeah. Yeah, like I mean the measuring thing for anyone that starts out now, they're so lucky they don't have to deal with that because it was literally one centimeter or I don't know how many inches are, but like it was tiny, tiny little changes that would affect your career massively. So it was just a lot of pressure. And I think after a while, I just, I just feel like I needed help, but because I was too scared to ask people and I was too scared to talk about it publicly, I just created this little self, like I tried, I, I created this little space for myself where I felt like I could have control and that was food. And then I think over time, I started like dealing with all my issues with food. And that's how I slipped into my eating disorder. Okay. And so tell us a little bit more about your eating disorder, because I understood it got, it worsened around age 20. And yeah. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what kind of eating disorder, right? Because the three main eating disorders are binge eating, bulimia, anorexia, there's others. But what was it for you that happened? For me, I think with an eating disorder, 
a lot of people underestimate it. And I think I have a lot of friends that now that I've been through it, I realize that it can start very like quickly and innocent. Like I think for me, it started with an obsession about food. And the more obsessed I became with food, the more I started wanting to eat more and wanting to eat more food because I put so much pressure on being healthy and also being young you sometimes don't really know what healthy really means so I started overeating and every time I overate I felt so guilty because I had to be in a specific shape for my work that I would just end up making myself sick And it was one time and then it was second time and then just became this thing where I couldn't even eat the tiniest piece of chocolate. I would feel so guilty. And then I realized that very quick that it became a problem. And it happened around the age of 20 when it was it became a daily thing. And by sick, you mean you mean purging? Yes. Yeah. So it's basically it didn't even have to be huge binges. It was anything I ate. I just always, it took me 30 minutes to think about, should I keep it down? Should I not? Should I keep it down? But then if I, if I, in my head, I thought if it doesn't stay in my stomach, then I'm not going to gain weight, which obviously is not true. But at the time for me, that was like, oh, this is an ideal solution to eating and not gaining weight, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. obviously doesn't make sense. But back then to me, that was like, that was my solution. Yeah. And where were your emotions in all of this? Like, Do you recall how you were feeling or if you what you were feeling? Um, I think the most I, I it always started with anything that upset me or being alone in a hotel room. And when social media became big and I started seeing all my friends having fun and I was traveling and I just felt like I was missing out on things. So I got really sad and my sadness, I thought, you know, if I if I get really sick through bulimia, maybe people will pay attention or maybe I don't have to work as much anymore. Or it was such a, it was such a cycle that I got in with crazy rational thoughts that didn't make sense, but it just got worse and worse and worse. And at some point I got really bad pneumonia because my immune system just shut down. Mm. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, (laughs) if I keep doing this, I'm actually hurting my body a lot and I'm getting scared and it, when I had pneumonia, it happened to me. I was completely by myself and I realized, oh God, I don't ever want to be in a situation where something could happen to me while I am by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, okay, this is a problem. Yeah. And look, what you're speaking about is the importance of taking care of one's emotional health, right? Because you were clearly feeling yeah. a lot of feelings and then it turned into an action to try and control the feelings to some degree, right? And then also there was a health issue. So this is the you know importance of why we're doing what we're doing so that people can get help earlier so that you could have exactly. gotten help earlier. Exactly. It's like a lot of times I think when you're younger, you think you can handle everything on your own or you don't need help or, oh, what I'm going through is not bad it's, or it's not as bad as what other people are going through. So I'm just going to swallow all my feelings. And most of the time you start distracting from them in an unhealthy way. So do you think anyone around you picked up on the fact that you were in distress or you were in a way asking for help? Um, I think so, because for me, um, the weight issue was so big that I would avoid wearing bikinis around my friends. So if we would go on trips, I would always keep my shorts on or I would always have a cover up on. And even though I was working for great 
people at the time and and I should have seen at the time that you know you're probably doing lingerie jobs because people think your body is good for me I always thought there could be something better or people could see something that is not right and I had a lot of guy friends so I heard the way they spoke about girls and then in my head I just tried to protect everything and make sure I don't gain weight or and I think people started noticing because I was just never in swimwear next to any of my friends okay and it, right so the modeling career and maybe the feedback that you get there wasn't validating enough right to cancel out no. what you were feeling inside exactly yeah okay so let's fast forward a little bit like what happened then early 20s to 23 where I know that you went into like a darker place mentally um I think because the eating disorder I was at the height of it my career I was at the height of my career I thought always that if I reach all my goals career-wise then maybe I will feel better and maybe I will I won't I will feel good and maybe I thought I will feel happy and I just feel like being in this industry and being independent at such a young age made me feel like I grew up really quick and being in the modeling industry like a lot of times you meet so many people that other people look up to or where other people think that they live the best life and when you realize they don't I just felt like I felt like at that time of age I realized that a lot of things aren't the way they seem and I was just disappointed in everything and I was disappointed that good jobs wouldn't make me feel better and I was I just I just felt like my, my world was falling apart and I think that's when the eating disorder and everything it just all became too much and I was just in a very dark unhappy place yeah so let's paint that picture a little bit so that people understand because when you described it to me it sounds like you were um, in a depressive episode right in a state of depression I know you described to me that it was difficult to get out of bed you often had thoughts like, oh, life is not worth living. So tell us a little bit about what it was like when you weren't modeling and putting your best foot out there. Um, I think it, it was around 22, 23. I just, I like, I just, I don't, I can't remember what it was exactly, but I feel like just everything leading up to that age, I never felt like I just let myself be, I just never let myself experience normal things I never I never I I always put so much pressure on myself and always being the best being successful and then trying to have friends around and make sure that everyone's happy and I never really I never looked at what I want and who I am so I just felt like I didn't know who I was and because I just felt like I didn't know who to speak to. I didn't know what to do at the time. I just found myself in a place where I just didn't really have any motivation for anything anymore. And I just felt like when you're a model, there's also, you know, you end up in a lot of relationships where you meet guys that just want to date a model. And so you feel like no one really cares about the person behind the photos. Mm. And I think that just led to you know, being in a very dark place at the time. So how long did that period last? And then what led you to start to feel better? Um, I think the period of not feeling good lasted for quite a while. It was like a year and it was ups and downs. There were good days, bad days, good days, bad days. But then my bad days started leading up to panic attacks where I would just out of nowhere start to 
you know, feel super exhausted and I felt like I was about to faint. And that's when I realized, okay, this is really bad. I'm not in a good place. I don't know what's happening. Like I thought something's wrong with me and why can I not be happy? And I was really scared. And that's when I started slowly opening up to my best friends. And then they started sharing their experiences. And the more all of us started sharing, the more I started to feel better. And then I realized that everyone's going through similar things. There are so many girls who are going through the same things. And it started helping me to just hear their experiences, to compare them to mine. Suddenly I found words for feelings that I've felt that I didn't understand. And I feel like that helped me a lot to get out of that place. I also realized that I needed to make a lot of changes to my life, my work, and just figure out who I am and who I really want to be. Okay. And did you ever think about therapy or speaking to a mental health provider along the way? Yes. I I think <laughs> along the way, I tried to go to see so many different people, but it's very difficult when you're a model because it's very difficult to find the right kind of help. And I always felt like I don't look like someone who's struggling with an eating disorder from the outside. So how are they going to take me serious? And that was just, that was just my thought process and so I always I would go for one session cry for an hour and then I would just leave and never go back because I just didn't even know how to explain what happened I didn't even know how to explain how to feel and I felt like oh she won't understand or he won't understand and so I never went back okay and and so fast forward because it sounds like you're in a really good place now I know you mentioned a relationship you know you're able to talk about all these things you know what what factors in your life led you to come here right from there I think it's a mix because when you get a bit older and I just realized that I don't want to be sad anymore and I don't want to depend my feelings on I don't want to have other people influence me anymore and so I tried to understand what makes me feel bad so if it was certain people I started cutting them out of my life if it was for me, New York City had a big impact because it's such a fast it's fast, it's such a fast paced city. So for me to move somewhere where I was a bit of a slower paced helped a lot. And I just started making all these little changes. And then that way I started feeling better and I felt like I had more control of my life. And I also started to learn to say no to certain jobs that I didn't want to do. And understood that taking every job and traveling nonstop and working every single day isn't really always what you should do. And um, so I just had to make a lot of changes. And even though it was very scary, it was all super rewarding. And I, I started realizing the happier I felt, the more things started falling into place. And so now it's been two years that I've lived in a different city I've changed my job a little bit in the sense that I just do it more on my pace on a pace that makes me feel good and everything just got better my job started getting better I started making amazing friendships and the friendships that I've had I start they got a lot stronger and everything just started to get a lot better it's like once you let go of negative thoughts and you try to make an effort to just think happy about everything it's like everything just started falling into place and where are you today with your eating disorder? It's been two years now that I, I, I've been completely fine. I think the second I started realizing that 
or the second I started accepting my body for what it was, and I just tried to not put so much pressure on the way I looked or the way I think people see me or the way I wanted people to see me, I feel like the moment I just started to accept myself, something clicked in my head. And then I looked back at photos where I was in the prime of my eating disorder, and I just remember how unhappy I was. And when I looked at those photos, all I thought was, my God, I was in such fun places. I could have had a great time and I looked great. Why did I worry so much about my body? Like I started to realize that the way I saw myself was a completely, it didn't exist. It was a version that I made up in my head. And the more I started thinking like that, I just feel like I started seeing me for who I was and accepting me for who I was. And that way I didn't feel the need to hurt myself or I didn't feel the need to overeat or not eat enough I just feel like I just started to listen to my body more and I haven't had cravings so I haven't had crazy weight fluctuations and I feel like it's just everything got a bit more stable now yeah and you said something really important so I'm going to read you a definition I like from the National Eating Disorders Collaboration on Body Image so body image is quote the perception that a person has of their physical self and the thoughts and feelings that result from that perception. And those per- the perception can be positive, negative, both, or somewhere in between. So I think you, you described that so clearly, right? That it was your perception of your body, but it may not have been consistent with the reality or how others perceive you, right? So how, how do then we manage that perception where it is hurting us? Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Bridget but I feel like for Bridget like for everyone who goes through it you when you look back I feel like I'm shocked because the person that I see in photos is a completely different person to the person I thought I was at the time oh yeah (laughs) and it's like wait why did I think I was fat like what what is wrong with me and then you're just like oh my god I wasted all this time and I never looked the way I thought I looked yeah it's like you have a lot of empathy for that like older version of you because you're like you were so like scared and so yeah struggling so much and like you were you were fine the whole time (laughs) exactly yeah okay so so Nadine then you know just upon reflection you know what else would you like to tell listeners about you know about your mental health journey or to raise awareness around the things that you've learned? I think for anyone struggling, especially with an eating disorder, it's so important to not be hard on yourself because I do think that so many girls struggle with their relationship with food because there's just so much pressure in the world that we live in. I also think it's so important for girls to know that whoever you idolize, it's those people aren't always they're not perfect either and a lot of times like what you see on Instagram like Photoshop is real (laughs) it's it is happening and I think it's so important to try to just live in the moment and see yourself for who you are and not try to be someone else because bone structure and like growing up and then growing into your body affects you like it affects the way you look so much which is something I didn't understand back in the day. And I feel like it's so important to just not compare yourself to anyone else, no matter what the issue is. You like everyone has had their own story. When you were talking about therapists, I, I just wanted to say that I really relate. It took me a long time to find a therapist who I could trust with my story. And like, she was an actor before she moved into therapy. And like that, was the very first time I've actually been able to sit with someone and trust that they actually like understand a little bit. 
and like yeah yeah it's I don't know Ali like what's that about yeah. <laughs> yeah no this is a really good question like you know there's obviously it's very specific to the individual person but what I heard in your story Nadine is that it was also hard to be vulnerable and then what you said Bridget to mm-hmm. trust the person in front of you with these things that you've been carrying around with you for a long time that are really painful and causing a lot of distress and I'm not saying this for you but perhaps shame and guilt embarrassment and other things that a lot yeah. of people experience about things they've, they've you know had about things they've experienced in their life so it's complicated and I think making that move and finding the courage to talk about it and you know to be vulnerable that's actually a strength but a lot of people feel defeat, right? So, so mm-hmm. it can be very complicated psychologically. But I think in hearing your story and also in talking to Bridget and many others, right, there is so much value on paying attention to our emotional health. Because if you don't yeah. pay attention, it will haunt you. It will kind of like, you'll have panic yeah. attacks. You'll have other symptoms until you deal with well, it. Yeah. That's what's crazy because so many of my girls struggle with anxiety and panic attacks. And like, obviously everybody is different. But for me, until I actually started looking into what's negative in my life, it's like it didn't change. So it's like a lot of times I think we know what is causing the problem, but we're too scared to let go of these things. And like, it doesn't always have to be like moving the city. Like maybe it was a bit extreme for me, but like, I think there is things that we're all aware of that are in our life that we can get rid of. We just have to be brave enough and it, it you can change it like, like that. It, but it's like, it takes so much strength to let go. But I feel like a lot of times we just know the negative things in our lives and it's just sometimes more comfortable to hold on to them than to just let go and try, try a new start or a fresh start. Yeah. And like what you said clearly that when you started to talk to your friends about what you were going through, you actually realized you weren't alone and it helped to talk about it and connect on it. And so that's, that is why, yeah, it is important to speak, right. And like get out of your body and your mind and um, your heart, what you're going through to someone else, just to say it out loud can sometimes have so much therapeutic value. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I can. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. My life didn't get better until I started talking about it. And then I sh- actually, I shouldn't say that my recovery didn't really get good <laughs> until I like started talking about it. And then everything changed quickly. But yeah, opening your mouth and like speaking up for the first time is it, that's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. No, I remember when I started the podcast and I I had so many girlfriends that were like, I really don't think that's a good idea. You really don't want to talk about that because, you know, people won't want to work with you or, you know, there will be people that will judge you. And in my head, I thought, but it's so it's so wrong not to talk about it and to hide it when it's real. It is happening and it's happening to so many people. And I think the people that tell other people to be quiet, that's the worst thing you can do for anyone. Like if a lot of times it helps like you said Bridget to just speak about it and why be ashamed of something that so many people go through just because they don't speak about it doesn't mean that they that it doesn't exist and Mm -hmm. I think that points to the stigma and shame around mental health issues right that it's been there yeah yeah and I think the more people like you Nadine who speak up it's like we hopefully can help to destigmatize it because there's nothing wrong with struggling mentally like a hundred percent yeah and although we haven't talked about this the other thing I find so interesting is like is the interplay between culture 
background, maybe religious background, gender, certain things and mental health and how people express or don't express themselves or what we call cultural idioms of distress. So how emotional distress is expressed across cultures. It can vary. That's a whole yeah. other discussion oh, topic. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's like nice to think, okay, well, how, it, how were emotions communicated in your family? You know, what was acceptable, yeah. what was not acceptable or in Austria where you grew up, you know, what's the norm there versus other places. It's about social norms 100%. as well. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, Nadine, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, It's powerful to hear and no doubt that others, you know, will be moved by it. And hopefully someone out there listening, you know, will find value in this and it will help them. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the platform. I really appreciate it. You are listening to Model Mentality. Welcome to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. In this segment, I explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. You have been listening to our interview with Nadine Leopold. Let's review Nadine's story. Nadine grew up in Austria, and as she describes in her teens, her physical appearance was tall and thin in comparison to her peers, and this led to years of being painfully bullied. Around the age of 14, as her parents were going through a divorce, Nadine was looking for support and found immediate comfort in dating someone who was four to five years older. This led to a relationship of both emotional and physical abuse, which she struggled to remove herself from. With the physical break of her modeling career, she was able to leave him. One year later, she developed an eating disorder, and later on in her 20s, she experienced a period of darkness for about one year. And for the past two years, Nadine, with the support of her loved ones and setting boundaries, has been on the road to recovery and wants to share a story so that others who are struggling understand the importance of seeking help. Two things stand out to me from a clinical perspective of Nadine's story. First, her early development embedded with risk factors for her mental health. And second, her eating disorder leading up to the period of darkness in her early 20s. So first, what about her early years and mental health? Nadine experienced three things in her childhood, which can have both short and long-term impact on mental health. Bullying, feeling isolated through her parents' divorce, and a relationship of abuse. With Nadine, the painful experience of bullying led her to feel that she never fit in. She was made fun of simply because of how she looks, something that she was born with, something that she had no control over. Doesn't this seem so unfair? And alarmingly, bullying is so common. One in five high school students in a given year report being bullied, according to the Centers for Disease Control. And we know that bullying can lead to social and emotional problems, physical injury, damaged self-esteem, and problems adjusting to school. In aggregate, that's a huge mental health toll on our youth. And to take this further, in the context of both bullying and her parents' divorce, she felt isolated and longed to fit in. When parents divorce or separate, this can cause a variety of issues, from academic difficulties to risky and reckless behavior, including substance abuse and depressed mood. Then along came an older boy in Nadine's life, who at first provided comfort and pulled her out of social isolation, since dating someone older was considered cool but she soon became entrapped in a relationship of both emotional manipulation and physical abuse. So let's stop there. Abuse, 
whether physical, emotional, or sexual, can impact mental health long-term and lead to anxiety, substance use, eating disorders, self-injury, and suicide, and women are usually more likely to be impacted. And to make the situation worse, Nadine was made to feel that the abuse was all her fault. It was not her fault. One thing is clear, abuse is never your fault. It is the fault of the abuser. I'm calling all of this out because it is all of our jobs as parents, as citizens, as members of our community to understand mental health risk factors in young people and work to prevent mental health consequences. If Nadine had access to early education on mental health and readily available mental health care in high school, the eating disorder and the period of darkness which ensued may have been prevented. Let's move to the second aspect of her story. What about her eating disorder leading up to the period of darkness in her early 20s? As Nadine found the courage to leave the relationship as her modeling career took off, the eating disorder began to emerge around the age of 16. In the public eye, she looked great. In private, she was in a state of psychological distress and found comfort in control over her food intake. Can you imagine the energy that this takes to put on a perfectly poised performance for everyone else every day at work when there is utter emotional turmoil inside? Nadine became obsessed with food and her eating disorder progressed into daily binging and purging by the age of 20 in order to be fit enough for work. By the time Nadine was 22 to 23 years of age, she fell into a period of darkness for about one year, which in speaking with her and understanding her symptoms is consistent with depression. From utter exhaustion, panic attacks, hopelessness, and feeling that life was not worth living, Nadine was depressed, scared, did not feel like herself, and was overwhelmed by her emotional state. Bullying, divorce, and abuse, which were immensely painful and unprocessed, set the stage for the eating disorder and depression. And because Nadine kept it inside, she felt isolated. She tried to see therapists, but continuity was disrupted due to her modeling career. And she often had the thought, how will people take me seriously given how I look on the outside as a model? Her physicality has been a central theme in her life. She was bullied because of her physical body, and later, the perceived perfection of her physical body led her to feeling that people may not believe what was going on inside, given the picture-perfect exterior. It wasn't until she started to open up to her best friends, find words for her emotions, and feel connected in her vulnerabilities that she started to feel better as she realized that she is not alone. We know that social support is protective for mental health. And for the past two years, she has made changes in her life that are better for her overall well-being. It's hard for so many to be vulnerable and to trust the person in front of you with the things that are painful. But to be vulnerable is a strength. And this is why we are telling Nadine's story, so that you, our listeners, understand that many people struggle with the same things that Nadine has faced, both within and outside of the modeling profession. And we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 
273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on model mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.